Welcome to Stop Telling and Start Listening with David Cook. If you're frustrated with the way we are speaking or not speaking to each other, if you find yourself easily at odds in your conversations with people, this may be just the show for you. Listen in as David and his guests will help you elevate your communication skills and navigate the tensions present in many conversations today. Now, here is David Cook. And happy Monday, everybody. Welcome to Stop Telling and Start Listening. I'm David Cook, your host. And I have a very special guest today, a good friend of mine, Doug Vreeland. Um, I don't know, what do we call you? Pastor Doug, Chaplain Doug, what is it? Chap, right? Is that what it used to be called? Well, they called me Chaps, but you can call me Doug. I'll call you Doug. Anyway. you too long. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, um, I just wanted to give the audience like a quick background about you and I. We met each other in like fourth, third or fourth grade, right? Back in third, uh, grade. third, third grade? grade. Third grade. Doug moved into into my neighborhood, in, into my uh, church, and we were going to school together. And then we actually went to college around the same time and then got separated for about 40 years, 30 something years. And Doug was uh, writing a book. We'll talk about that book later. But Doug was writing a book of which, about um, two churches, both of which we were actively involved with. Um, well, me actively involved with one of them. He was actively involved with the other, but they were related. And Doug, when he was writing the book, reached out to me and we've reconnected. And over the course of the last couple of years, we have had some great conversations, some enjoyable times. Uh, you guys can't see the view that Doug's got, but Doug's looking out um, on the lake in Michigan, and I'm looking at 118 degrees in Arizona, so that water looks very appealing. But uh, Doug, you know, man, thanks for joining me on the show today. I appreciate it. No problem. Thanks for having me. We, um, what we're going to do today for my guest is, for my audience, let you guys know is, is that we're going to venture into the kind of, a couple of conversations that Doug and I have um, talked about a few times, um, and also, too, he's done some things on Facebook, uh, commented on mine, and I've commented on his. But Doug uh, is very, very passionate about the church that he grew up in, um, and, and also, too, um, his commitment to that, to the to to being who he is as a as a Christian and as a pastor, even though you know retired pastor. Um, but you know the the struggle that that I have and the things that Doug and I have talked about is for me is how religion or the church has gotten so political. And um, normally I don't make editorial comments. I kind of wade in, but this is something that for me, who I've gone in and out of being a believer and I've gone in and out of discussing social and political issues and, and stuff like that. It's just, you know, the, the tenant of where the church is today, for me as a believer, just I really struggle with. And like I said, Doug and I've had some good conversations. So I thought we would talk a little bit about politics and religion, two subjects that nobody's supposed to talk about. And we're going to talk about them both at the same time. So uh, good news is we're in a friendly environment and we can't get attacked by somebody else. It's going to be Doug and me. So uh, Doug, real quick question for you. Um, the overview question, we'll get the ball rolling is what's going on with uh, politicizing religion or religion becoming politicized? That's a real quick question, huh? <laughs> so, well, I figured I'd start with an easy one. We can go from there. Well, thank you. <laughs> um, you know, religion has... Yeah, well, when you and I were growing up, uh, the mainline churches 
we're a little bit politicized uh, on the left. And uh, certainly the Vietnam War, uh, they took a very strong political stance. Um, but what happened, I believe, was the 1980s. The, the evangelicals prior to about the 1980s just avoided politics. That was dirty business. Um, and and so, they, they, you know, they voted, they served in the military, but they didn't get too involved in politics. And uh, and then what happened was the uh, uh, moral majority came along. And uh, yeah, the bumper sticker says it was neither. But uh, um, a, a far, far right group of fundamentalists sort of captured the narrative and uh, became very strong on uh, especially social issues, but uh, also, uh, well, just the, the became basically a, a major player in the Republican Party. And, uh, um, and that has gone on. Um, since then and more recently we've seen the rise of christian nationalism uh and that's always been a part of our country uh manifest destiny uh united states has a special place in god's heart uh second only maybe to the israelites in the old testament um we are the new israel um, and we are going to be the city on a hill. This goes back to the pilgrims uh, for the rest of the world to see and to follow. Um, and Manifest Destiny uh, was used um, as a, uh, yeah, a, a theological justification for killing the Canaanites. Uh, the Canaanites happen to be the Native Americans who were here uh, before us. And... Uh, yeah, and, and this has been this has been sort of a sub a sub uh, a sub story uh, in America for a long time. What has happened is uh, we are now becoming an increasingly pluralistic country, and we're trying to we're struggling with um, how to be. Uh, uh, you know, separation of church and state. Uh, first, it was a Roman Catholic church. And can Catholics be a part of this Protestant country? Um, if we elect J, uh, John F. Kennedy as president, um, then, uh, boy, the Pope's going to run our country. And uh, he did get elected, and the Pope didn't run our country. Uh, now we have a second Catholic president, and I don't see where the Pope is running our country right now. Uh, we've sort of accepted Catholicism, but now we've got a lot of other uh, religions. Uh, there are more uh, Muslims than Methodists in this country today, and that is troubling. That's troubling to a lot of folks um, who believe that this is a Christian country. Um, I believe it was founded on Christian principles, but it is not a Christian country per se, and uh, uh, you know, it doesn't bother me if, if uh, well, that the Muslim thing is it has its own challenge. But uh, um, I guess I've answered your question, haven't I? Well, you gave a nice you gave a nice history. It's kind of like uh, 
And it, it, it's kind of interesting because you started, you know, you started outside the United States and brought it back in. But it sounds like um, uh, um, white religion has has had its moments of doing things in the name of God. Um, I was kind of curious, you know, that maybe I'm maybe I'm misreading, maybe, maybe I'm putting words in your mouth, but I thought that was kind of interesting because I heard that a little bit. You talked about the the Canaanites, you know, and you fast forwarded them and said that's the equivalent of Native Americans, you know, at the time of the settling of the United States and stuff like that. But there's an inference that that happened in in the past as well, correct? Or am I am I doing something wrong there? Well, I don't think white Americans are unique in. Uh, in doing things in the name of God, um, you know, in the Civil War, uh, well, of course, that was all whites, but in the Civil War, both the North and the South believed mm -hmm. that uh, God was on their side. Uh, Southerners believed that the North was ungodly because the American Constitution never mentions Jesus, uh, and uh, and so the Southern the Confederate Constitution has a very strong reference to Jesus as mm. uh, a part of this country, of their country. Uh, and the North, of course, said God's on our side because we're willing, you know, we're going to wipe out this uh, evil uh, known as slavery. So, uh, but you can look at any, um, you know, and I'm a retired military chaplain. There is always, I, I wrestled with this, there's always, if you go to war, the, you want to take your gods with you. You want to be on God's side of the war. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, so that's not unique uh, to white folks. But we're seeing it today um, as a sort of a white supremacy, um, religious kind of thing. Um, and... Mm -hmm. uh, and so most of what I will be talking about, um, you know, I, I have no authority or credibility to speak about the black church. It's entirely different uh, animal in America, and I'm sure it's got its problems. Um, I speak, I, I won't speak too much about Catholicism, um, although I think they're doing some stuff that we Protestants could learn from. Uh, but my focus is white evangelicals. Um, Why is that? Because I thought I was an evangelical. <laughs> <laughs> you use the word thought. That's past tense. So um, give me a little bit more there. Well, the media has not done us a service, okay? Um, back in the 1950s, a guy named Carl Henry and a guy named Thielke and a guy named Billy Graham. Was Carl Henry Paul Henry's dad? Paul Henry's dad. All right. Sorry, people. <laughs> Paul Henry taught at Calvin College. Uh, he, was one of my, he was one of my professors in political science. Brilliant, brilliant man. Ended up in uh, Congress. Mm -hmm. Died very young. Uh, mm -hmm. Was a real loss. Uh, wonderful man. But his father... And Billy Graham and a man named Thielke. Well, again, you have to go back a little further. We had a division in our country, the modernist fundamentalist controversy. And the fundamentalists were very much anti-intellectual, anti-science, uh, pro-Bible. 
and they saw the uh, modernists as uh, not taking the Bible seriously enough. And, uh, and so most of your mainline churches were more or less modernist and your fundamentalist churches uh, more, more independent. In the 50s, these three men said, we need a, a faith that is uh, intellectually responsible. Uh, we are not opposed to uh, science. Uh, we're sick and tired of science and religion being, uh, uh, in con- you know, put in conflict with each other. Uh, and so they developed what was known as the evangelical movement. Mm-hmm. And the key, uh, the key uh, flagship magazine of the evangelical movement was a magazine called Christianity Today. So I consider myself evangelical. I do not consider myself fundamentalist. Uh, however, the media has put those two together. And so much of the moral majority was fundamentalism. But now that's sort of usurped evangelicalism. And so the two are sort of married to each other. So when you have the statement that 80% of evangelicals uh, voted for Donald Trump, that's a little misleading because that includes all fundamentalists. And um, they, they've lost the distinction. Uh, the tradition you and I come out of and the school we went to would probably be considered pretty evangelical, um, but not fundamentalist. Right. That's in, that's interesting. Um, so we've evolved from um, evangelical. But you're saying that um, we're putting that it's 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 just being lumped under one big umbrella through the media. It there's is. there's still a distinction out there if people were to look below peel back the layers and look more closely at the demographics and and um that kind of stuff you'd see a, a modernist and fundamental break in the evangelical movement well the evangelical movement is like any broad okay yeah. you got a guy like jim wallace of sojourners magazine who's strong supporter of, uh, by the way, grew up in Detroit, same time we did, uh, Downriver. Uh, Jim Wallace and I have almost the same uh, uh, history, except I stayed in the church and he went outside and sometimes wonder if I shouldn't have done what he did. But anyway, um, he's very much uh, social justice, politically pretty far left. But remains evangelical. Evangelicals will emphasize, you know, uh, evangelism, uh, the importance of, uh, you know, a, a faith in Christ uh, for salvation. Um, the cross is the center of the faith, and uh, uh, and 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 our sins have been been paid, have been atoned for, have been paid for. Uh, by the cross, the suffering, death, and resurrection of Jesus. That's evangelicals. That's a that's a non-negotiable. Okay, mm-hmm. um, as well as of course fundamentalists, but they have some more that are um, go further than evangelicals. Okay, mm-hmm. which is what we're experiencing, right? Which is what we're we're all getting lumped together. Okay, and so uh, 
um, yeah. So I think I think for for the purposes of this program, uh, because I take seriously uh, your uh, um, title, stop talking and start listening. I assume that's what this program's about. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. The, the you know the core the the core um, component of the show is is for us to wade into conversations and have conversations where I have an opportunity to learn. So it's not about me coming and sitting with you and say let's you know let's argue or let's debate or let me let me prove to you while I'm right because I feel like a minute we the minute anybody engages into that discussion we get ourselves in trouble because now we're not listening we're really arguing which means that all we're doing is I'm presenting my point of view and if I'm presenting more focused on presenting my point of view to educate you or to inform you or to convert you whatever word it might be that means that I'm really not making time for me to learn what you believe, why you believe it, how you got there, and how it influences your choices, decisions, and behaviors in your life. So what I what, when I say stop telling, it's like get off your soapbox, sit down with a person, you know, have a you know have a cup of coffee with them, say, Doug, tell me what I need to know about in whatever it is the subject, and that's really the purpose of that, and that's really about this conver- you know, what this conversation is about. And that's why, um, you know, absolutely, I you know brought you on because, you know, I I could sit here and tell you all the things that concern me about um, society, and we've had those conversations. I use them as tip as as, as places to tee off or kick off, um, you know, points of conversation. But um, I don't want to necessarily share my concerns in the sense that you know because I don't want to get into Dave's platform. What I really want to do is have Doug share with us his vision and his wisdom from where he sits. That said, though, the, my big question with this is we've we've migrated from a place where, you know, th- and this is this is Dave's perception of it. We've migrated from a place where people went to church, you know, they worship, they praise, they serve the community in whatever way they could, um, you know, whatever, however they decided. Some people didn't serve the community directly. It was indirectly the way they the way they operated at work or the way they operated, you know, in their neighborhoods and stuff like that. But I feel like right now what we're what I'm feeling is I'm feeling the pressure um, from this. We'll use as we laid the foundation from the evangelical movement to start now to have influence in policies and laws and rules and regulations. And I feel like instead of the Christian notion of loving and accepting others for who they are and following Christ's model, I feel like they're they're going to the rule of law. They're going, it's very, um, from, from a biblical reference, it's very um, like like the Pharisees. Everything has to be by the letter of the law. If you do things by the letter of the law, life is good. If you're not doing things by the letter of the law, then you're not you're not operating um, in your faith. That's, that's what it feels like to me. And I just, I struggle with that, Doug, um, because my experience, you know, my, my testimony of my experience is that um, John... 13, whatever, 31 or 32, whatever that chapter is, love others as I have loved you. You'll know your other, they will know your disciples of mine by how you love others. To me, that's the simplest thing in the world. And there's nothing legal in there. It's about expressing love to others in the way and how you express love to others. 
So anyway, that's that's my thing. And you can t- take that three-minute blurb anywhere you want to take it. Well, Dave, I think myself as an evangelical and a fundamentalist uh, differ on how we should be involved in the public square. Mm-hmm. Okay. I think evangelicals, uh, Christianity should be a voice in the public square. I have no problem with that. I have problems when we start to control and say everybody's got to follow the Bible. Okay. And and that's the laws. Uh, the, the fundamentalism is trying to make America a Christian version of an Islamic caliphate. Mm-hmm. Um that's not what we are as not what we, well that's not my vision let's put it that way for our country that being said uh i'm also not comfortable with you know christians should stay out of politics absolutely not um i'll give you an example um war which is my so my field is you know a political it's politics by another means, somebody said, politics by other means. Um, mm. And Christianity has said a lot about war. We have just war theory. Uh, we limit uh, we limit fighting between combatants. We don't um, target non-combatants. We have a lot to say about the value of human life and caution about uh, taking human life, I don't think anybody wants to remove that voice from the public square. Mm. Okay. Um, I certainly don't. Um, but we cannot demand that everybody agrees with us. Right. We are one voice among many. The Apostle Paul says, you know, uses a phrase I always like, we try and persuade men. Um that's sexist, okay, men and women. But um, as Christians, we need to persuade, not dictate, okay? And you take the abortion debate. Um, We've politicized that. We've used power instead of trying to convince people that life begins at conception. Okay. Once you've convinced the majority of Americans that life begins at conception, you will resolve the abortion debate in the way evangelicals and fundamentalists want it resolved. But they haven't convinced anybody. And the left isn't convincing either. Uh, and that's where we, we are losing our, uh, our dialogue. Okay. Mm-hmm. And the problem is, you know, this thing called truth, you know, when Christians say we come to the table with the truth and y'all better listen to it or you're in trouble. Now we got problems. Hmm. Okay. Now I happen to believe that Jesus is the way and the truth of the life. Nobody comes to the father, but by him, I believe the Christian Bible is God's truth for the world. But I also believe, you know, that great chapter, Corinthians 13 on love, you talked about love. It ends by saying, um, we see through a glass dimly. 
Um, and that's why um, we have to um, listen because somebody else may see something that I'm missing. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Makes a lot of sense. Makes a lot of sense. And and also, too, the other thing I hear about that, you know, you talk about um, truth and and those things is that, you know, I and then you, t- you said truth and then you came to I believe. And for me, that's an interest that, that's always really interesting because people have different beliefs, right? And that and they're for them, some of those beliefs are their truths. So nobody wants to be told that their truth is wrong. So if I confront somebody and say, Yeah, here's what I believe, but I, I know it to I know it to be true, whatever it is, then you're telling them that they're wrong and you're shaming them, criticizing them, holding accountable for having an opinion or a perspective or a belief that's in contradiction to yours. That is, it, it gets sticky because now I'm beating somebody over the head to try to convince them that they're wrong or that they need to rethink their strategy. And I can't do that by telling them that they're mistaken. Well, when Jesus was on trial before Pilate, Pilate asked that question, what is truth? I wish Jesus had answered it, but he didn't. <laughs> well, he did answer it didn't, by not answering it, right? Well, maybe, uh, but I don't. I I think there is an objective truth. Okay, I think there is an objective. I had a friend once said, "Truth is objective, but it's ascertained subjectively." <laughs> That's a good one. Okay, so uh, a dear friend of mine, Dirk Evans, uh, told me that, and I think he's absolutely right. Um, you know, the sky in Michigan today is blue. Now you can say my truth is green. Well, okay, but I hate to tell you it's blue. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that that's that's really not negotiable. But there uh, might be a reason they see it as green. They're colorblind. Uh, right. And which goes to the stop telling, start listening is because okay, the minutes so when minute we have one of those, we've got to watch ourselves for a break. But the minute we have that disconnect. That's where I say, well, let's wade in. Why is it that one person says, well, it looks like green to me? And you go, well, it is blue. What makes, what is it that you see in that that's green in there? What what gets you there? And the more you talk, you realize that what they're doing is there's there's a reason why they're saying that. And like you said, it could be they're colorblind. It could be so that they actually learned the colors wrong. It could be that they're just being a jerk. It could, you know, there's a whole lot of reasons. But rather than confront them and say, I got news for you, you're wrong, ends the discussion because there's no more learning to be had there. And and the issue, and then you go to the break, but the issue is as soon as you ask a question like why, you lose control. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And maybe we should pick up after the break on that. Yeah. Well, you know, we will. It's kind of funny because I said why, and then I, you know, for people who have listened, if you've listened to this show consistently, I've already been encouraged that why isn't one of the questions. You have to find a way to ask why without asking why. So it's really more like, okay, interesting. It's green. What what do you see that makes it green for you? Explain that to me and tell me what, why, you know, so that it's a little different than say, why do you think that? Because that's confrontational. But we will, we'll take a break and we'll pick that up uh, when we come back. And stay tuned with my good friend, Doug Vreeland, as we talk about 
religion, politics, and all the other fun stuff that's in the middle of that. We'll be back. Follow Voice America at Facebook.com forward slash Voice America for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts. We are living in a time where a relentless commitment to opinions and beliefs are dividing communities and fracturing crucial relationships. Making ourselves right and those who disagree with us wrong leaves little room for engaging in a constructive learning dialogue. There is little opportunity to change minds, find common ground, or solve complex problems. Those who are not being heard or understood become angry, hurt, lost, isolated, alone, and more. While mental health-related issues are on the rise, too few know how to safely share their struggles, and far too many don't know how to care about those that do. While it is increasingly frustrating to experience an increase in this communication divide, there is hope, and according to David Cook, there is an answer. The answer lies in how we adjust our communication style and shift our listening behaviors. In his radio show, Stop Telling and Start Listening, host David Cook introduces his audiences to the power found in creating a safe place for sharing life perspectives and experiences without judgment, criticism, correction, or shame. There are tremendous opportunities in learning to see the world from the eyes of another. Join David on Mondays at 11 Pacific. Discover how shifting your listening behaviors will close the divide that exists between you and others in your community. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You're listening to Stop Telling and Start Listening. Have a question for David or his guests? Join us on the show at 888-346-9141. That's 888-346-9141. Or you can email Dave at dave at thecookgroupllc.com. Now, back to the show with David. Hey, welcome back. This is Dave Cook with Doug Vreeland. We're talking about religion in America. Um, it's interesting. I heard the the call to action, call Dave, email Dave. You know, this is almost like my, my, my 30th episode and nobody's called in yet. One of these days, Doug, we're going to trigger somebody and they're going to call in because they're not going to be able to take it anymore. But up until now, we've been we've been safe and we get to do our own thing here. But um, when we when we went to break, I completely forgot about what we were going to follow up with after break. Do you remember <laughs> the why question? Yes, the why question. And and basically, listening requires asking open-ended questions. Okay, now you said why, and that could be confrontational. That's kind of interesting. But you can ask why in a non-confrontational way, too. Um, you can ask that gently. How? What do you mean? Uh, giving people questions that they can go anywhere they want with this. Mm -hmm. uh, what we're seeing in the national dialogue today is I want to control the narrative. Okay. Um, oh, you support President Biden, so you believe in socialism. Well, you know, you've you've bounded the you know, no, it's possible to support President Biden not believe in socialism. Um mm -hmm. You're, you know, you vote for Trump. You must be a racist. We've limited the 
you know, we've we've limited the uh, the parameters of the conversation, mm-hmm. and um, it's a it's a big box. You know, you say put people in a box, but it's a big box because if I say Biden, like you said, we could spend all day talking about examples of what that makes me if I say I'm a supporter of Biden or what that makes me if I'm a supporter of Trump. There's a lot of stuff that's in there and it could none of it could represent me or one only one little thing could represent me. But as a result of that association, it's like, yeah, we're going to put you in that big box and label you, you know, and it, what it does. And what it does is it it it's it's it it eliminates at that point in time once I've decided that Doug you and I are not in agreement it eliminates the conversation I now I don't have to talk with you because I know we're not going to agree and that's, well, that's sad that's sad that's why we have this radio show because I have every intention I've in fact I've invited people on this show who I very specifically know I won't agree with them. The reason I want them on the show, because I want to hear them tell me their story. I hope I'm not one of those people. <laughs> no, no. And 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 I'd love to tell you who it is, but I don't want to feel like I'm calling them out. Oh, so I'm not going to do that. No, but I've but I've intentionally and, and that's what I'm searching for on the show is I want to have conversations with people that that even though I know I, I disagree with them, I want to hear their story because I know I can learn something from them doesn't mean i have to agree that's not the point of this conversation the point of this conversation is what can i learn from an interaction with with another human being regardless of where they are what they what they believe why they believe it the color of the hair or the clothes that they wear or where they work i don't really care it's like hey do you have a story yep i'm here what is it so you know there are levels of conversation Okay, the the uh, the surface one is, you know, sort of your positions. Okay, a deeper level, and part of listening, and part of what I was trained and what the church ought to be doing, is listening to not just the words, but the passion, the feeling behind it. You know, why do they feel this way? And then deeper than that, um, what's the story? What is their story? That's what you talk about. What is their story that led them to this seemingly strange to me um, position? So, for example, the church that I'm a part of, the Christian Reformed Church, um, I grew up in Detroit in the 1960s, and we had race riots. Well, that formed me, that and this kid named Dave Cook, who wrote a poem, (laughs) formed me more than anything in my life. Um, Had I grown up, uh, there's a place called Pella, Iowa, with a bunch of Dutch folks. Had I grown up there, very small town, uh rural agricultural community everybody is uh ethnically socially politically all the same that's a different experience Mm -hmm. and that's going to lead you to sort of a a different perspective Uh, the joy of my life in service in the military was uh, i got to 
I got to experience people from all walks of life in America. All Americans can, you know, it's it's entirely possible for all Americans to show up in the military. Although I was only one of two people I ever met from Gross Point, but <laughs> you know, so I, I recall a young man from Queens, New York. Uh, you know, Italian man, Italian sailor from Queens, New York. And I mean, he wasn't adjusting well at all to the military because he had that in your face attitude. And you just don't do that to your superiors in the military. You got to kind of, okay, but he's in my office. And well, why is this kid doing this? Well, that's how you survived in the streets in Queens, New York. But it's not going to help you survive in the military. You have to learn new skills. Okay. And so, again, that's that listening, uh, but listening to more than just the words. Mm -hmm. Listening to what's behind the words. What are the fears? Uh, our country is terrified. People are terrified, uh, frightened, and po uh, politicians are. Uh, uh, feeding that because people don't go vote because of patriotism. They go vote because they're scared. Um, mm -hmm. and, uh, well, what are you afraid of? Um, is this realistic? You know, because that was really going to be the name of the show was uh, listening in fear. And then I decided not to do that because that's that's was too that was heaping on some things. But what what drives this fear? What's behind it? Well, because I agree, I think that that's what it is, is that. I'm going to put in a plug for faith. <laughs> okay well, i put in a, i put in a plug for love so you can put in a plug for faith. <laughs> well it's kind of my uh i have a friend who says you're in the business <laughs> um you are you are you 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 sell hope love and faith you uh faith so. hope and love. Yeah, these three abide uh the greatest mm -hmm. is love but faith is a pretty big deal mm -hmm. i think we've lost faith in a higher power that's going to care for us. Mm -hmm. And one of the things I never could figure out, so I served a very conservative church in uh, West Michigan. I won't say the name to protect the guilty. Um, <laughs> in the Reformed tradition, now the heart of the Reformed tradition is we've got a big God and he is sovereign, okay? He is Lord, he is sovereign, he is all-powerful, and he's caring for us. That is the heart of Presbyterian Reformed Christianity, okay? I think that last time last time you, uh, we talked about this, you called me a Calvinist because I believe that. Yeah, I, okay. You're a Calvinist. Well, you come by it naturally. Yeah. Um, and these people... We're so afraid. And I'm like, how can anybody be so afraid that believes in the sovereignty of God? That makes no sense. You know, it just makes absolutely no sense. You, you, you're, you're, 
beliefs have, you know, elections have consequences, so do beliefs. If you really mm -hmm. believe in a sovereign God, then you're going to be comfortable because it's in his hands. But we're not believing that anymore. Right. Uh, I think because we're too uh, uh, secure, self-secure. Uh, we're too rich. Uh, you know, Jesus says it's hard for the rich man to enter the kingdom. Well, it's because he's self-dependent. And mm -hmm. to enter the kingdom, you need somebody else. You need a savior. Um, so I think that's part of it. Uh, I think our wealth is part of it. We could lose this. We could lose. We know deep down that we are the privileged, and we could lose our privilege at any point. Uh, and uh, I mean, you know, I may be wealthy. I'm not talking about me, but I'm just hypothetically, I may be wealthy, but I know that the stock market could fall in a heartbeat. And what if 1929 happens again? I don't have any wealth. You know, that's scary. If your trust, if your faith is in your wealth, that's weak. Okay, um, and you're gonna and you're gonna do what you can to protect it, preserve it, protect and preserve. Yeah. Right, and uh, you know, but it's only be it's only by the grace of God that you and I are living this comfortably, and we we weren't born in Papua New Guinea, mm -hmm. <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. How that happened? I didn't pick it, so. Uh, um yeah so i think that's part of it and then i think it gets fed as i mentioned uh politicians are uh have discovered that fear motivates voters mm -hmm. uh, they're not coming up with new um uh programs they're not coming with suggestions as to how to fix our problems they just radiate fear, you know? Mm -hmm. And so, you know, these, these, these trans people, that, and I don't understand trans people. I mean, I just don't get it, but they're not bothering me, you know, but now suddenly they're a threat. They're a threat to our country. They're a threat to, you know, you name and they it. make up, they make up less than 2% of the population. Yeah. And I'm just picking them. I'm picking on them. Right. But it's interesting. Something as minute as that. I mean, how many people we have in this country? 350 million people. We're talking about 2%, maybe. I don't even, I can't even do the math that fast, but it's next to nothing. Yeah. Um, the likelihood of me tripping over a millionaire is greater than me tripping over a, <laughs> a, a trance. Yeah, really. Um, so... You know, I think the other thing is change. Mm -hmm. Okay, Ch the old saying is the only the only one that likes to change is a wet baby. Uh, change is scary, um, especially for people who have benefited from the old way. Mm -hmm. Okay, so there are people who have benefited from uh white supremacy the you know the 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 privileged status that white people have in this country uh the people that benefit from that of course are white people and so when we suddenly find all these people with darker skin coming off the southern border coming across the southern border you know well that is threatening and the politicians exploit that oh they're a bunch of criminals or a bunch of uh, you know, they're all sick and, and disease ridden and, and uh, you know, they feed the fear and feed the fear. 
And this is a universal fear right now um, because we've got this whole this whole movement of people worldwide. Uh, one in eight people today lives in a country other than the one they were born in. Hmm. Uh, and so, you know, half of Syria is now in, in, in Europe. Uh, you know, uh, we're not unique on that, but that's... And they're, and they're struggling with some of the same things we're struggling. They struggle with the same thing. Well, they do things differently. You know, when the Roman Catholics invaded our country and, you know, the beginning of the uh, 20th century, the you know, well, those people drink alcohol. Um, that's that's dangerous. So we passed prohibition, <laughs> you know, uh, to try and control it because we're afraid of them. Well, we're afraid of them because we're not securing who we are. Right. You know, and uh, and I think a lot, and, and and this gets to the church. We are not secure enough in our message anymore that we're willing to hear people who have a different message. Um, mm. You know, I I don't want you know, that. That was my that was my experience. That was my perception. I have to share this with you. That was my perception of my educational experience at Calvin. Um, and that was, you know, gosh, 50 years tell, ago. Tell your, tell your audience what Calvin is. Calvin University is affiliated with the Christian Reformed Church. Um, so Calvin is named after John Calvin. And so we were raised in the, um, you know, actually, I remember one of the first classes that we had to take for a required class we had was Christian Perspectives on Learning. It's just that. It was, um, it was, it was faith-based. It was a faith-based school run by the um Christian Reformed Church. That's that was that's my summary of it. I don't know if you if I didn't do it justice, but that's it's about four thousand students still is today. But my experience with with you know with going to Calvin was we're going to venture into looking at alternative ways of thinking, looking and examining. But we we didn't drill down. We kind of did the highlights, and we said, okay, here's the highlights. Here's the things you need to know. But now let's compare it to what we want you to know. And we would go back to reemphasizing the, and I guess, I don't know, the fundamental of faith or whatever, you know. And I just always felt like we got, that. I always felt like I got cheated. And, you know, because I don't think that we, I don't think that we confidently explored the issues. We safely explored the issues. And so when you talk about, just now is like, yeah, you know, if I venture into this thing and 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 learn what I need to learn about whatever it is, um, there's something wrong in me doing that. So I'm not going to do it. As opposed to saying, what can I, what benefit can I get from actually understanding something at a level um, to support somebody else's um, how they arrived where they're arriving? I mean, that's that's the whole relate piece. You experienced that as a chaplain, Doug, right? You learned how to relate to the people that you were talking to, even if, you know, you, I'm sure you've talked to Muslims, and I'm sure you talked to um, Black religious people. I know you interface with, with, um, with atheists, right? But that didn't prevent you from meeting them where they are and, under, and getting to understand them where they are. Yeah. Um, I mean, do you, do you understand kind of like my 
probably on my I'm, I'm I'm echoing my frustration again. It's not about me, but I'm doing it. Sorry. <laughs> well, I think my experience of Calvin University, um, my take is a little different than yours. The seminary, because I went from the university to the seminary, that was indoctrination. This right. is a, this is the truth. You need to learn it so that you can teach it. Uh, I think the college, remember, it is a Christian school. Mm-hmm. And so, it, it, you know, the Bible is taken seriously. Um, the Bible is, yeah, grounds, uh, you know, the source of our faith and life. Now, it was not the textbook for everything. Okay, we were taught that the Bible is not a psychiatry book, but it has some pretty strong wisdom in it for mental health. Okay. Mm -hmm. Um, I think they could have drilled deeper. Again, you know, we were there years ago. And yeah, uh, I think think they've always struggled with, on the one hand, being faithful to to the tradition and the Christian Reformed Church that um, supports them and, and sponsors them. And on the other hand, academic freedom and looking at things and and so on and so forth. And uh, that's a hard tightrope to walk. Mm -hmm. Had you gone to University of Michigan, you would not have had that Christian influence in the curriculum. Um, Maybe that's a good thing. I don't know, you know, Uh, but they, I think they tried to make that balance. Sometimes they were better off at it than others. You know, right. Yeah. Well, I, you know, for me too, is like, you know, cause I, um, and it's a little, it is a little different. My story is a little different as with everybody's story is a little different. But, um, when I left the Christian, when I left the Christian school system, I was in sixth grade. And so, you know, technically what is freshman year in college is 13th grade. So I was seven years removed from, you know, a Christian education. I was in a public education. And I wouldn't say that necessarily I was deep in my belief or my faith. I knew that, you know, I was raised in a faithful environment. I knew what the rules were, but that doesn't mean necessarily that I have internalized them, embraced them. So I probably, you know, you're right. I showed up at Calvin University, um, not an outsider, but definitely a rebel. And so I wanted, I wanted the the rebels. You've been a rebel since the day you came out of the womb. That's right. I I did. I did show up fighting. That is true. Um, (laughs) <laughs> that is true, but um, so you know, I wanted, I wanted more. Oh, oh we're coming to the end. Yeah. Well, shoot, that that went way too quick. We're we'll have to have you back on because these conversations are way too much fun for the rest of you guys. I hope you're enjoying this, but I love these conversations. Um, so anyway, that was that's my deal. Is is that I showed up looking for, um, you know, probably I didn't. Calvin wasn't my first choice; it was my last choice. But I ended up there. I ended up there for a reason, obviously. And um, so it was kind of like, okay, when are you guys going to like look at the, when are you guys going to get uncomfortable? All right. Cause I love discomfort. I love disruption. I love, you know, and like you said, it's a tightrope. It's, well, we'd rather, if we're going to err, let's either err on the side of caution, not insanity. I think they took as their mission to help young people live, uh, think Christianly, 
okay think like christians and then go out into the public square thinking like christians and engage the public square yeah now my problem is they never leave west michigan <laughs> well well that's right well they never leave the, the the square that makes them feel safe they never leave the safety yeah you know? um but you and have, i think that and i think that 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 crowding is you know like surrounding myself with people like me that tribalism because you said i mentioned christian nationalism that's why you're going to be back on the show but that's that piece is i need to i need more people like me around me yeah and and i prefer the diversity which is why and, and again i grew up in a big city the military i loved i i was as reformed as any, i was as reformed when i walked out as when i walked in i never changed as far as my basic outlook on life but it became more relevant um mm -hmm. you know i was able to to communicate you know the sovereignty of god um is going to help you with your fears you know mm -hmm. that, that's religion and life coming together um so all right, well, we're going to have this conversation. We're going to have another version of this conversation, Doug, because I enjoy these a lot. And, um, you know, really quick as I close out, I'm just going to tell you one thing that I didn't tell you guys is the backstory is that Doug and I weren't necessarily best friends in in elementary school. Doug's perception of Dave, you know, I'm use your words. You you felt me as a bully. I was very a very emotional, um, physically emotional child. So yeah, you know, his your your early youth experiences of me weren't that great. But it's amazing that here we are, you know, X number of years later, able to make a full circle and have this really powerful, cool connection from our commonalities and just our journeys in general. So, you know, I, I, I love having having these conversations with you, Doug, and I feel really fortunate that um, we reconnected. So thank you for that. And by the way, my book is called The Fort. Yes. Growing up in Gross Point during the Civil Rights Movement. And you'll hear all about Dave Cook in that book. <laughs> I mean, I'm actually in a chapter. It's like a, a chapter I didn't have to write. It was a chapter all I had to do was show up and, and fully reflect on the story. So, um, Doug, again, thanks, man. Um, we'll see you probably in a month. I'll have to invite myself to the lake and and we'll do another okay. show. But but thanks, thanks again. And for everybody next week, um, we'll have another guest. We're going to talk about uh, balance in life and finding positivity in the conflict and so anyway i hope you'll uh, join me then and again one of these days somebody's going to call an email love to see you do that but in the meantime we'll just keep having great conversations like this open your heart open your eyes open your ears because once you start listening everything changes this is dave cook have a great week thanks for listening to this week's episode of stop telling and start listening we hope you've picked up on some useful ideas to help you enhance your conversational skills. Until we listen again, have a beautiful week.